Hello, LPs. We heard from several of you that the content from our book club session with Hamilton was great, um, but was pretty hard to consume as a Zoom recording online. So we have gone in and pulled out the audio and are putting it in the feed here. Um, The quality and production here isn't obviously up to our usual acquired episode standards, but this was such a special and cool experience to be live with so many of you hear your voices and questions in the discussion with Hamilton. Uh, So we wanted to make sure that it was open and accessible to everyone in the LP community. Um, If you have not read the book and want a cheat sheet before listening to this, you can pull up our notes on the book in the LP Google Drive or go back and listen to our full LP episode with Hamilton on March 10th of this year in this same LP feed here. Um, Also, FYI, our next book club live Zoom discussion is on The Outsiders with author Will Thorndike, and that's going to be on August 28th, 2020. Uh, So if that hasn't happened already by the time you listen to this, make sure you come join for that. We are super excited about the conversation with Will. And uh, with that... On to the discussion with Hamilton. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everybody. Look at this Motley. Hey, what's going on? (laughs) Hamilton, I think, just joined us. Yeah. Um, So hopefully everybody got the emails that went out. But um, plan is to do an hour or so of Q&A with Hamilton. um, And then after which Ben and I will stick around and we can all keep jamming. Um, Let's see. couple logistics. I think unless things get too unruly, let's just have everybody ask questions directly. If there's anything you don't want to ask directly, you want to do anonymously, just send me or Ben a DM in chat um, and we'll jump in and, and ask Hamilton. Let's see, the only ground rules are, I think most people know Hamilton also runs a public equities, registered public equities hedge fund. So we can't talk about investing directly or any of strategy capitals, Hamilton's funds, um, uh, proprietary kind of you know models or or, or methods, uh, but uh, so that's the only stuff that's out of bounds. But everything else hopefully should be in bounds, and Hamilton will let us know uh, if we can't talk about anything. Yeah, I'd prefer to stay out of jail. So. <laughs> uh, as would we all. As would we all. Um, cool. Uh, let's see. With that, we thought uh, we'd break the ice with maybe a fun one, Hamilton, to start if your game, uh, which. Um, if you were assembling kind of a, a dream team of CEOs you've observed, worked with maybe over the years, who uh, who makes your list? Who who's the captain of the team, and who 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 are maybe the starting five? Yeah, I I was it, you, I, David was kind enough to heads up he's going to ask me this. I thought about it a little bit. It it I want uh, to say won't be terribly startling because these are kind of you know I think on everybody's team. I'm, I'm certainly of of course huge fans of Zuckerberg's and Bezos's for lots and lots of reasons. I think they're amazing. But I thought when, when you asked me favorite, I'd sort of, I, I was thinking, well, who had really hard, hard strategy problems that were, you know, very difficult to solve and, and then follow up on. And I'd say, I'd say with 
with Facebook, you know, it's a, it's a, it's like it's a straight up networks economy, a network economy play, and it was it was not easy. You know, they just started Harvard and and sort of figure out how to scale it, and and then all that. You know, I'm not saying, but it was more, on, I'd say, more on the operational side, and the the strategy the strategy wasn't so much a puzzle. Um, it was because it was if we do this right, it's a network economy's play. You're on Facebook, because I'm on Facebook. Period. Okay, and and I think. Uh, all, of course, it's interesting with companies that have that directly, they become accustomed to, to that clarity and don't realize that most strategy problems aren't like that. Um, and demand often demand that of anything they get into, which is too high a hurdle. Um, but, but, um, but I thought two, the, two companies where it was really hard, and as a strategist, I had to admire them enormously, were Tesla and, and Netflix. And for sort of different reasons, I think for for Netflix, uh, they did. I heard you earlier talking about Kodak, and and uh, if you think about how you how you create value, they're kind of two piles: tuning and transforming. Right? Tuning's what what can we do better, and transforming is what what do we do next? And transforming is really hard at a strategic level if you're going if you're actually creating a new business, and uh, from from the a base of an existing business because usually. You know, it's it's very very hard to do business, and so once you've established something, you have a whole series of modalities and you know culture and processes and everything that are fitted to that, and that to try to do something new uh, is just I mean it 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 really is Herculean, and so uh, so on Netflix side that they, they did that, so they went from the red envelope business to the streaming business, and those really are different businesses. Um, and and uh, uh, and I and and I give uh, full marks to actually the co-CEOs now, Ted and and Reed, because uh, they're you know and and both of them were essential ingredients to this, and both are frankly quite brilliant strategists. I know them both fairly well, and and they're very high at the top of the pile for people I've ever encountered who can think acutely strategically, um, and so so they. Uh, if you think about what they faced, I mean, think about going. So they 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 tried content before, uh, and when they had the red envelope business and failed, right? Um, I can't remember what it's called, red envelope productions or something something or other. I can't remember. It didn't work out. Um, they tried to do movies, and and uh, and so the notion that they could actually uh, get into streaming seemed, you know. Uh, not like an unbelievable stretch because they are named Netflix and they'd already th already thought about using the internet and stuff. That that didn't seem, you know, so weird in a way. And the technology is has its own challenges, but it's not, you know, uh, incredible to do. Um, but but to get power in that is something else again. Uh, and. And uh, and they got power by going into original content, uh, and because there were scale economies, there's a fixed cost to doing that, and and there's obviously high risk and some luck in that. Um, you know, I mean, their their first really big bet was House of Cards, which turned out to be a hit. It might not have been. Um, uh, they they'd done Lily Hammer before that, but 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 if you think of somebody advising them way back then. And they said, "Well, we're going to become a powerhouse in original content. 
Yes, somebody look at them saying, are you out of your mind? You, you have no idea how to do that. Everything, that you, there's nothing that you do that tells you anything about how to do that. That's a com completely new area. You just don't have a competency. So if you think about strategy theories around core competencies or whatever, t totally off the charts. You know, I mean, you wouldn't, you know, you'd, you'd say, I'm just, you guys are you're just crazy, you know, and, and, uh, and yet they did it. You know, and uh, so and and uh, and and it was uh, in retrospect brilliant, um, not easy always, um, and uh, uh, but but uh, but that 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 kind of transforming effort is extremely hard to do. Um, and uh, you mentioned Nokia from rubber boots to uh, cell phones. Unfortunately, then they got counterpositioned by uh, by the iPhone and, and and lost that business, but. But they're trying to rise again and, and taking on Huawei and so on and, and gear, um, and um, so so I, I give them very high marks and that's 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 a hard thing to do uh, uh, to transform because you have to get it right strategically. But then there are all kinds of operational issues. I mean, think of imagine trying to build the relationships with all the creatives in the Hollywood community. You know what that was like. They'd say. Well, let's see now. I've, I, I, uh, Bob Iger is on the phone, and I who who's this Netflix? I'm, what, I'm not sure I've heard of you. Who's who's that? You know, I mean, <laughs> DVD guys. <laughs> right, right, yeah. You're you're just you know, aren't you? Are you related to Blockbuster or something? You know, or you know, and and uh, so yeah, they were a distribution channel, right? And so so I I give and and they are and. These guys are really able. I mean, I, as I say, I work some of them, and they're they're just uh, you know incredibly acute. I've 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 learned from them myself. I mean, I, I there's a, a funny story of the subtitle of my book. Uh, did I I don't know. I don't think I mentioned this in, in the. Book. No, I don't think so. So so I was trying to think of a subtitle for the book, and I and I was and I was uh, I I. Uh, uh, was trying to be be uh, uh, clever uh, rather than rather than truthful, and so I was I was sort of taken with agile software, and so I, I thought, well, uh, how about nimble strategy? That sounds kind of cool, you know. And I even got the I even got nimblestrategy.com, and I thought, wow, this is pretty neat. And, yes. Uh, um, and and I mentioned it to Reed, and he <laughs> said, so that's really dumb, Hamilton. You know, uh, you know, strategy isn't nimble. Strategy is something that you sort of carefully consider and craft over time and amend as you get additional information. And nimble implies this quick jump from one thing to the other, other circumstances require. And, and, uh, and, he, and I know, of course, he was right, you know, and, and, I, and so then I was talking with my son, Edmund, about it, who's, who's uh, got a larger vocabulary uh, than me by an order of magnitude. And, and he and he and he and he came up with foundations, which was which was the right, which is what it is actually. It's really a book about the theory of strategy. So that's one. So I don't know how long-winded you want to be. So that's one 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 set of CEOs. The, the so so uh, so Elon Musk. Um, I mean, as a this community is always down for more Elon stories. So <laughs> keep going. Uh, yeah. So so you know, I mean, as a strategist, oh, so rewind ten years. And ask yourselves, and you're a strategy guy, and or woman, and and uh, I usually use the term in a genderless way, but I sometimes that doesn't work. 
um, and 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 um, uh, and somebody tells you, uh, are could any of these possibly happen? An American car company will become the undisputed technology leader in the world automobile industry. That's one. Or um, electric cars will become the uh, sought-after goal and strategic objective of every car company in the world. Um, uh, or, um, or third, that a that that the current uh, group of automobile makers, and there's very high uh, barriers to entry from you have to get to a minimum scale, which is very large, that there'll be a new entrant that's successful. If you said any one of those, as a strategist, I would have said, oh, that's really dumb, you know? Um, I mean, it, it, I, I, it is true, I can't talk about my investing in, uh, specifically, but I can tell you that I wouldn't have invested if anybody had suggested that to me. Um, but imagine somebody doing all three, you know. I mean, I mean, the the story's not over, that's for sure. But but this is an absolutely uh, extraordinary leap strategically to accomplish all three of those things. And uh, and yes, you know, there's the ups and downs and the perils of Pauline and and uh, I don't know, I don't know Elon, um, but I you know he's he's certainly has, you know, like, like almost every super creative person has his own quirks, but, but genius, you know, I mean, uh, uh, real genius. And, and Hamilton, uh, if I could jump in, where do you think net, um, Tesla derives its power if they do, or is it, is it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll speculate, but I don't, I don't know the answer, but I'll speculate. Um, my, uh, so the first place I'd look would be counter positioning. And the, and the question there is, um, it's, and all of you on, on this call, I'm sure many of you have witnessed this over and over in other industries, that companies that build up from the start in a software-centric way develop in a way both culturally and who they hire and how they do it, that's very hard for a uh, company that wasn't born out of software to emulate uh, or to, to mimic. And, and actually, my view is that's, that was the fall of Nokia, actually, was that, that they, they couldn't, that, that's, that's, uh, that's why they couldn't take on the iPhone. And, and, um, uh, and so that's one hypothesis, certainly, that, that um, the software centricity of what they're doing. Uh, and so you can, and, and the jury's still out on whether I'm right or wrong in that, you know, so, so you know, follow the Volkswagen ID3, you know, and see, you know, and see how they get that. They just fired their head of software, as you probably saw. And, and there's a wonderful uh, piece by, I think he was the head of, used to be head of Audi, who was on the board or something, who talked about how what a challenge it was, you know, for VW to be good in software, um, and and so so I, I think that's I think counterpositioning is is definitely on the table. Another aspect of counterpositioning is dealers. Um, you know, uh, electric cars don't require much service. Dealers get all their all their uh, income from service, not from selling cars, and uh, um, and 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 at least in the United States, yeah, I, in many places, D 
dealerships have a statutory hold on their uh, their distribution rights and so so that's another one you could argue maybe some network economies and charging stations although I'd, I'd argue that if that ever became too much of a hurdle that other automobile manufacturers would join together and and you know do something or in a private company that's already happening to an extent um, and uh, and then and then you get into long-term possibilities if it turned out that they were the first to crack AV um, because because they have better edge data um, than anybody else uh, then that that has obviously their uh, you know scale economies in, in that uh, they're profound if that were if they got there first um, so but I think but I think the one that's that's if you see the automobile companies struggling, you can see all the hallmarks of counterpositioning. You know, the people are getting fired, they're trying to do this, it doesn't work. And so VW, for example, uh, um, you know, started off by, I think they've written their own operating system or tried to, and so, and, and we'll see. Uh, the, so if it turns out that the ID3 is pretty darn good and they're able to, to to do it, then that's something else. But but it's but it's a but it's but I I'd, I'd say of the large automobile manufacturers, VW is probably the most committed. Uh, if I were BMW, I'd be skittered to death right now. Um, and uh, um, and and I think um, the the way it used to work in car companies is that they had you know because of course this blows up all their their supply chain arrangements because they used to have all these suppliers with all these components and they all had their own CPUs or something like, or, or you know, or, or processing units, not the CPUs, but, and, and, um, uh, and they, and, and then they, they kind of sort of would get them to talk to each other kind of, but not really. So it was, you know, uh, you know, uh, IT chaos and, and, uh, uh, and, and trying to do that on a unified platform so you can update over the year and all that is, it's, is a real stretch. So, so that would, that would be my hypothesis. But anyway, I, I I so admire, uh, you know what what he's what he's done. It's it's, uh, it's an amazing accomplishment. Well, listeners, this is the perfect opportunity to introduce a new sponsor here on ACQ Two Quarter. Their new product, Quarter Pro, launched about a year ago and is already adopted by several Fortune 500 companies and some of the world's largest hedge funds and equity research departments. Yeah, this research platform is transforming the way qualitative public market research is conducted. Here's how Quarter Pro works. You can get every piece of first-party information from public companies all in one single place. That's live earnings calls with real-time transcripts, company filings, slide decks, and more. Quarter Pro has built a world-class user interface for this. Yep. Let's say you're an investor or a podcaster, and you've got the use case where you need to look up a company such as Novo Nordisk, Hermes, or Visa. You can open their platform and search Guidance or Market Outlook. Quarter Pro then immediately identifies all instances where a company has historically mentioned and discussed these topics in all of their IR-related communications. Or here's another pretty crazy thing they've done that's difficult to get anywhere else. You can actually search through literally every individual slide in Quarter's database, covering 9,000 public companies and millions of slides for any keyword mentioned based on Quarter's AI capabilities. This truly makes it easier than ever to conduct qualitative analysis of entire industry value chains and specific companies. So whether you're an equity research analyst, an asset manager, or an investor relations professional, this platform will help 
help you increase your productivity through their live call, transcript components, AI-powered summaries, and a feature allowing you to visualize the entire timeline and changes of specific slides throughout quarters. Quarter also offers their database as an API solution. This enables other companies such as trading and research platforms, as well as AI and LLM companies to build custom solutions and integrate this database into their offerings or add functionality on top of the data. Yep. To find out why leading companies globally are choosing Quarter Pro in their day-to-day work and to experience the platform firsthand, request a personal demo by visiting quarter.com slash acquired. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R, no E, Q-U-A-R-T-R dot com slash acquired. Or click the link in the show notes to get the personal demo from the Quarter team. Our thanks to Quarter. Let's open it up to everybody else. So feel free to jump in, ask Hamilton questions. Um, if it gets too unruly, we'll do chat or hand raise. Yeah, and to start, before people just start sort of firing questions, I think a good way to sort of warm up audience questions is um, I tried to seed it in the in the chat there so people could could think about it if they if they saw it. But, you know, what's the thing where you were reading Seven Powers and something clicked into place for you that hadn't ever clicked before? And I think, A, this is going to be interesting feedback for Hamilton, but, but B, um, I'm just curious what you all, sort of when you all had those moments. guess it didn't help anybody. <laughs> I, can, I can go. Um, Hamilton, I love the book. I've read a lot of business books, but this one I read in like two days. It's fantastic. So oh. did a great job. Um, I'm, I was actually surprised nobody had given it to me before. And I'm now organizing a book club at my company because I feel like it's, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of ex-Bain people at my company and none of them had read it. And I was like, how is this not required reading at Bain? Um, I- <laughs> so maybe you got to call call some people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the, it's all word of mouth. I haven't done anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the thing that really uh, I think hit me was uh, that operational efficiency, or like uh, you know, like a really well run organization is not the thing that takes you to the next level. If you if you don't have power. But if you do have power, it can it can supercharge you. So a lot of I mean, as an operator, I am constantly trying to figure out, like, how do we become more efficient? How do we take advantage of markets? Things like that. Um, But this really shifted my perspective into, okay, what is now I'm trying to think about it in terms of what's our power and how do we take advantage of it versus how do we operationalize what's already working? It gives, to, to use a terrible term, it gives it a more strategic view, um, yeah. but it also makes you a little more analytical in that, like, what are the pieces that are, um, and I love the empirical elements that you brought in where you, you can actually use numbers to prove everything. I can't say that on my Kindle, I was able to follow it completely, but it, you know, it's helpful to understand that these things are grounded in reality and they're not just conceptual. Yeah, it's a very, is it Francesca, is that right? Yeah. I get that right. Yeah, yeah. So, so Francesca, I mean, it's it's a very interesting um, uh, area to talk about operational excellence versus strategy, and it's very important to remember it's an and, not an or. Um, and uh, because uh, you, you you to create value, which to me is the objective of why you do business, um, uh, it, it you need both, and and both are really hard, and 
and uh, and I and I think the point that you made, which is right, is that that it, it is that operational excellence isn't enough, and and uh, that 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 uh, that insight actually goes back to Porter, you know, uh, 50 years ago probably, or you know, yeah, 45. Um, and he made that point and made 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 uh, a lot of enemies, I think, at Harvard at the time because they were focused on operational excellence, and and. Uh, um, and so it, it's it's equivalent in finance theory, theory to sort of full arbitrage, which is, in other words, you say that that you 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 don't depend on the incompetence of your competitors to do well, and that's a, and that's a smart thing to do. Occasionally you'll get lucky and they'll be really incompetent, but eventually it'll probably come back to bite you because there are a lot of people out there that can, if you do well they'll observe how you do. And so, so you need to do both, and and uh, um, and and the focus of a firm changes over time. I mean, if you looked at at uh, somebody like Netflix right now, I'd say it's the strategy is pretty clear. It's pedal to the metal and originals and international, right? And and uh, and it's mo and and since there's clarity about that, um, then then there's a lot of operational issues which then understand, uh, which then take that into an operational area. Like I, I uh, wonder if that's telling tales out of school. Um, no, I, I probably can't say that. But 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 Netflix, for example, how they interact with with content providers have to think that through very carefully in an operationally uh, specific way, and and uh, um, and so so it's it's. Uh, uh, it's and, and 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 it is a hard lesson that it's not enough. And then if you and then if you switch to sort of founder space and say and think about operational excellence, in other words, in the development of a strong strategic position, uh, and this is something Porter hadn't figured out, um, uh, you get a different answer, which is that actually. Um, Actually, operational excellence can be highly strategic, uh, and I think the example I use in my book—I can't remember if I did or not—but it's a good good example—is is the Apple III. Uh, Apple was Apple was poised to own the PC business, and they had their own OS, so they would have owned the OS business, um, and and yet, but then they came out with a really horrible product. I mean, it really stank. Overpriced, broke. It's just terrible. And the IBM PC snuck in under it, and and that was the demise, you know, of Apple's PC business. To you know, and, and almost the demise of the company ultimately. Um, and and uh, uh, and so so that lack of of operational uh, uh, excellence at that time killed. Killed them in, as you may recall from the book, the power progression. In the in this takeoff stage, it's all about uh, relative scale, and so operational excellence. The, you know, the right product, the right segments, the you know, uh, cost is right, pricing is right. You know, all that stuff. That's what that's what a lot. If you get that wrong, you don't scale properly, and so in those three types of power, switching costs, uh, network economies, and scale economies, it becomes highly strategic. Um, and so, so it, it's. Uh, um, but but I I I very much resonate with what you're saying that that, that was uh, 
uh, that, that that distinction is important because often you'll hear people say, well, we're just going to, you know, be operationally great and they don't really have an idea of why competitors can't arbitrage out their returns. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I, I want to share one aha moment that I had, which was uh, bridging two different worlds that had I'd never managed to square before, which was like, you should be brilliantly strategic in how you grow a business to become like Netflix. Also, lean startup, like MVPs and ship stuff and move fast and break things and have a cool idea and build it. And uh, Hamilton, I think you're, the clarifying moment for me was that all power um, ultimately comes from creativity. Right. W- was really like, oh, I see. So uh, that's the starting place. That, that's right. It all starts with inventiveness, and 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 I think, and I think the thing about what you're talking about about ship fast and do all that. Um, uh, one of I think it was um, uh, Alex of Scale AI was saying this to me. You know that that that. Um, you know, he'd observe that companies that uh, turned around their product faster seem to seem to uh, be more successful strategically, and 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 uh, what that's about is that in that very critical moment where strategy is very fluid and you have very large degrees of freedom, um, uh, doing getting all that stuff happening quickly, effectively. Um, I'll, gives you very quick feedback loops so you can so remember in that phase if you are trying to relative scale to other people that mean you know you get product fit to product market fit just right and you you get to exactly the right set of customers at the right time and you you know and you go to the you know which markets you address and all that and and uh, so so that that fast cycling or and and, and this this comes back a, a little history of strategy thought you know the the, I, uh, there's this guy, uh, Henry Mintzberg, who wrote a wonderful article about a strategy being adaptive. And this was way, way back when. And, 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 and it is that it's, uh, uh, it's, it's that you get this additional information. And he talked about crafting strategy as opposed to designing it. Um, and so, so you, get all, you get all that information. If you go back to the example of Netflix, um, so you know, when they were getting into original content, what did they do? To, it didn't go right off the bat. They, they started, you know, they started first with, with you know, some, you know, uh, crappy content that they put out in streaming. And then, and then they put, put a toe in the water with Lilyhammer, and then they step-by-step step did it, and, and, uh, but fast enough. Um, but but that, that adaptiveness and response to that is critical because you don't have sufficient information when you start often to understand what the correct strategic position is. There's, there's a lot of noise around the idea that, that, uh, that you can sit down in a room with somebody like me and just figure out what your strategy should be. Um, and, and usually you, you don't have sufficient information. And that's why you're an investor most of the time instead of a consultant now. No. <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> A lot of founders reach out to me, and I and I have a lot of interactions. But 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 it's more. But part of it is teaching to fish because the the whole point of the book basically is to give individuals the tools so that as they move through space and time, they actually are 
aware of what is a good and bad strategic position. So they're in the driver's seat in figuring that out. Um, and uh, so it's 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 that kind of advice. And then and then uh, and then sort of intelligence sounding board, but not but not sitting back and going off and doing a project and figuring out their their uh, their strategy. <laughs> their strategy. Nice, uh, Dimitri. I saw you had your hand raised. You want to jump in? Yes, uh, Hamilton. Thanks very much. Uh, that's uh, requires reading indeed. To with everyone who I started working as an entrepreneur, I, I send a set of books, and this is one of them. And I, I I bought it right after I listened to the episode with the guys. Uh, I spent over six years in one of the top management consultant firms, and I can tell very few people actually understand what they're talking about when they start talking about or advising on strategy. And my, from my big aha moment was on the first chapter, I guess, where you're saying, you know, I will distinguish what strategy with capital S means versus all other different strategies which people refer to. And I saw many, many efforts of, you know, making something slightly better and calling it a strategy. But I very rarely saw that you know, uh, a partner and a chief strategy officer would actually solve the big question using any tool like you propose, any framework like that. Yeah, well, thank, thank you for that. Oh yeah, my my pleasure. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's easy, very easy to lapse into using the word strategy for anything that's important, um, and and uh, and you lose so much if you do that, um, and. Uh, uh, and and if you if you step back and say no 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 strategy is is about something that creates uh, you know durable value the un, un, fundamental determinants of that then then it it opens the door to a, a lot of clarity about a, a, a good strategic position you know I, I often use the example of Pearl Harbor you know that Pearl Harbor was uh, brilliant tactically but from the way I think of strategy was uh, about the dumbest strategic move ever. It basically guaranteed the loss of, if, if they properly understood the economic assets that the U.S. had that essentially assured both the defeat of Japan and Germany in that one moment. Um, and, and, uh, um, and so, uh, and that's what, that's, what, that's what strategy is about, is what are the things that lead to very, very durable, not forever, Power, even powers, powers not forever. Uh, I, I, interestingly, I think I think the, the the longest duration power I've ever seen for a, an institution, leaving aside countries and things, uh, is elite universities. Um, so, I yeah, mean, totally. You know, think of think of uh, Oxford and Cambridge, right? And um, is it is it brand? Is it network economies? What what creates that power? Uh, it's intergenerational network economies. Uh, the brand comes from that. So the, the it's it's the it's that uh, they are able to attract the best and the brightest, and by their reputation, those and by their reputation, also the quality of the people. Those people get really good jobs, and so earn the view that they are that good. So therefore, people want to hire them, and so and then and then the next class, next generation says, well, if I if I go to Oxford. Uh, I will be thought of as being great, and that's a credential that I can use. And so I go there. So, so they, they so it's intergenerationally connected, um, and it's an extremely powerful network economy. I think. Do you think it will uh, deteriorate anytime soon? 
What's that? Do you think it will deteriorate anytime soon or it will stay as strong as, as it used to be? It's uh, a great question. I'm um, building a business around this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I, I mean, I, I mean, I think, I, I think there are interesting educational plays. Certainly, you know, I mean, there's a lot. I've, I've, you know, Daphne uh, uh, Poller's a friend, and I know Coursera pretty well, and some of the others. Um, and, um, uh, uh, I, 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 I certainly wouldn't bet on it personally. I mean, I think I think there are interesting educational opportunities, and, it, and it, but it's very, it's uh, it's it's complex and segmented, you know, in terms of which segment of the uh, education you're going after, uh, and and uh, but I think for the elite universities, uh, their position is pretty strong for quite a long time. I'd say certainly at an undergraduate level. That's my that's an opinion. I, I you know I haven't had to invest in it, so I. I don't know, although I guess I am sort of invested in the personal, but. <laughs> uh, Ella, I think uh, I think you're at the top of the queue. Also, I should, let's, let's um, since lots of people have questions, let's switch over to raising your hand uh, in the um, participant channel if you want to ask a question and we'll go in order. Ella? Let's see. Maybe maybe we can come back to Ellen. Ian, I think you. Uh, I think you're next in the queue. Um, yeah. Th thanks, um, David. Ben. Th thanks, Hamilton. Um, I I found reading Seven Powers like you know reading finding the cheat code. So thank you for for finally open sourcing uh, all your work. Um, I'm a venture investor. I have a lot of respect for quote unquote value investors. Um, and the dichotomy between value and growth had always been a bit of a paradox for me. I suspected that um, it was a solvable paradox. And my aha moment reading Seven Powers is that the extent to which the powers are present is part of uh, solving this paradox. Um, now, there's certainly broad-based multiple expansion that let's set that aside. But there are cases where, you know, yes, maybe Amazon's worth 120 times earnings. Um, and so this has been a way that I've been, um, I've just been asking, you know, quote unquote value and quote unquote growth investors, what they think about this and whether Seven Powers is part of solving this paradox. And I'd be curious to hear, you know, your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Warren Buffett. I think value, a value growth distinction is, is preposterous. Um, you know, it, it uh, you know, it's all about it's all about value. When they're in their companies that grow slow and have value, and some companies that grow very quickly and have value, uh, and so uh, and it just figures into sort of a, an NPV equation, basically. Uh, and you know, and power is just something that uh, what one thing you see is that that uh, long term. Uh, uh, Attractive performance is serially correlated. So if if uh, Walmart gets these margins this year, it's it, they probably won't go back to normal retail margins next year. They'll be more a uh, better predictor of how how the, how they did this year. And that serial correlation uh, means that there's that there's structures underneath that 
that that even with uh, ferocious competition, uh, guarantee uh, those or or uh, create a high probability. Guarantee is too strong a word. High probability of that continuing for some time, and and uh, and that's what value comes from. Because if you do if you do a calculation of value of a firm. Uh, it's almost all in the future. I, I, I don't know if the numbers are right in front of me, but as I recall, standard valuation model, 10% growth, I think 85% of the value is after year three. Um, uh, it depends on which terminal value assumptions you use and all that kind of stuff. But, but and so, so I, I, I don't, I don't understand. So I, I think that uh, people can, um, uh, investors divide that and that, you, that division may be useful for them in terms of the particular risk profile they're after or something, but in terms of the, the way I think about the world, which is it's all about value, and then and then growth is something that figures into that. It just doesn't doesn't make any sense, and I, I know that's that's what Warren Buffett has expressed as well. I think there's a I think this is Mark Leonard at Constellation Software. I think he wrote in one of his um, old uh, uh, shareholder letters he used to do that uh, something to the same effect like it's all value investing. There's a very special case of value investing where a company is growing very fast, but the market uh, doesn't. It, but the market doesn't understand or believe that it's actually growing way faster, and that you're still like it's all cigar butt investing. It's just a question of like how long is the cigar and how big is the butt. <laughs> well, I, sh I should say that, that the early, if you go back to the early days, pre Buffett of value investing it was cigar butt stuff but i was i was referring to value in the buffet and that is different that's looking at balance sheet kind of stuff more and, and uh but if you look at how buffett does it he's basically looking at low flux high power companies right ones that were yeah. the power's going on and, and uh that's what he, a moat moats are a subset of power basically you know it's just uh, uh power is a superset of of what he thinks about when he thinks about modes. It's, if you ever want to look at it, it's very interesting to see there is a, uh, in the Microsoft antitrust suit, there is, they made public um, communications between, I think it was between Buffett and Gates about Buffett talking about why he couldn't understand, he, he didn't have, and he's being very modest about it. He's saying I, he didn't have the, the, um, the framework to be able to figure out why Microsoft was valuable. Um, and and uh, so it, it just you know his moats tend to be more brand than some you know some other stuff and network economies at the time didn't really figure into it. Uh, let's see, Harad, I think uh, you up next. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can pin down my uh, uh, to my aha moments a single thing. Um, I think for me, this book definitely brought together a bunch of um, concepts that I had kind of uh, heard from other places, um, but it actually put them in a, in a framework that made sense. And um, like to echo what everyone else um, said already, it was, it was definitely one of the most value-packed business books I've ever, uh, ever read, and I've been evangelizing it as much as possible. Uh, since hey, I read go it. for it. You, you can be my marketing arm. I need it. <laughs> um, so I, I did have a question um, for you. You started off um, talking about, you know, the Netflix and Tesla and, and um, how well, um, you know, their CEOs have done. 
Um, I'm curious from your experience. So say a CEO has the value, has the power compass now. Um, they, they've read the seven powers and they have the compass. Um, what have you seen uh, in their stumbling blocks in trying to navigate the landscape? Um, I can envision things like, uh, you mentioned in the case of Netflix, um, them trans transitioning their business from something that was already working. Um, things like institutional momentum would be a factor in, in a situation like that. I can right. imagine there being other stumbling blocks as well. Um, yeah. What are some of the ones that you've seen and what traits of a CEO have you seen um, successfully overcome those? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, let me let me process for a minute. So I, I think I think that you can think of sort of internal and external uh, uh, barriers, uh, and so um, externally, uh, it may be that that. Uh, the things that you need to have to have power aren't in place yet, that you can't seize it yet. So, so think about Netflix streaming business. Uh, until there was enough people with broadband and the right kind of displays and the right kind of computers and stuff, they couldn't do it. So there's a technological frontier that had to, had to so that there's that kind of constraint. Uh, and, then on, uh, and then on the internal side, there, there, um, uh, there, there's. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about some uh, sort of attitudes uh, that you have about strategy. I mean, one, one, one attitude is that you think it's easy. Um, so, uh, one thing, one. I, I think maybe it was, it was David or Ben that asked me this question before about what I thought was the biggest misunderstanding about Seven Powers, and I'd say it probably was that you that people read the book and think they can go to their business and just say what their seven what what their power is or or uh, figure it out. Uh, it's actually even figuring it out is 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 hard and complicated um and and uh and sometimes there isn't power yet and you've got to you've got to do something there has to be an invention step um uh i think um uh then then there's sort of attitudinal things like uh you 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 need to be uh obviously open to all kinds of odd ideas I mean, you know, so the original content one in, in Netflix, there were a lot of people thought that was nuts. I mean, you know, inside, I mean, because they said, well, original content costs a lot more than just getting, you know, non-exclusive rights to stream friends or something. And so why would we, and our, our, our customer satisfaction depends on how much content we have. So why would we, why in the world would we ever do something as dumb as that? Um, and, and, uh, and then there's just the, the normal sort of entrepreneurial stuff that is so essential. I mean, like grit, right? Um, I mean, you know, you've got, and, you know, and positive attitude. I mean, you've got to get up. Uh, I mean, I'm in a very small scale, you know, I've, I've started my own businesses and, you know, you've got to get up and, and do the right, do something every day and, and put one foot in front of the other. There's all that kind of stuff uh, as well. Um, I'm, 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 tr I'm uh, trying to think there's uh, uh, pursue your question a little bit more because I, I don't feel like I'm answering exactly what you were asking. 
I think you're muted. There you go. Yeah. Uh, we've been working remotely for several months, and I still can't find this mute button. Yeah, I think so. My question was kind of from a uh, from a founder's perspective. So one thing you, you did mention, um, you know, it, could, it would be a mistake to kind of think you can um, read the book and then go to your business and think you can you can apply it. Um, so I think kind of my question is like, what challenges have you seen in in going from the theory to the to the application? I guess from from the people that you've observed. So it's. Um So the, the purpose of the book is to give somebody a cognitive framework, right? Um, you know, and I, I'm a, a, a great fan of Alfred North Whitehead's book, The Function of Reason. You know, he says, I think he says, one main law which underlies all modern progress is that thought precedes observation, right? And so the idea is that, you, you know, you're cognitively uh, enabled to see. And so that you got to start there. Right. So, you, so, and that's, and that's, and that's what, that's why I wrote my book is to cognitively enable people. Then, then uh, you, you, and it's what David was saying before about fast cycling and doing all this kind of stuff. Then you got Then you got to do a lot of stuff. Right. And, and so first of all, do you, uh, are you at a product, do you have product market fit? Right. If you don't have that, then then there's not a lot of point in even having a strategy conversation because there are too many degrees of freedom of what the strategy issue might be if you if you haven't figured that out. So you've got to get that one right. You've got to have customers that like what you're doing, and uh, and you're able. And and then once you have that, then then you then you can start to apply that framework and say, okay, you know it. it are there this kind of and and uh, this kind of power or not? And the way to go about that is is um, the way I typically think about that kind of problem, um, or and get people that I work with founders to think about it is is uh, remember in, in, in the the, the uh, uh, necessary conditions for power or benefit and a barrier, um, which basically says it's something good happens and others can't take it away from you. Um, and, and, uh, and I, but you can divide that up to uh, another mnemonic, which is three S's, which is, uh, uh, instead of benefit, talk about superiority and significance and, 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 uh, barrier, just talk about sustainability. And, and so, so if you, if you think about what it is that you do that you think yields, uh, that's different from the way than what other people do, your competitors do, do or might do, what it, and, and that yields you some benefit, meaning, you know, higher prices or lower costs or some, some benefit that looks, looks good in your P&L or cash flow. Uh, and, and then, and those, that, that's, that satisfies superiority, right? And, and then the next one is significance. Is it material? Is it a, a 0.000% change in, how you do or a 10% change. And then, uh, and then if you get those things, then, then start to think about, uh, is it sustainable or not? So ask the question, okay, uh, somebody smart and committed, can they take it away from me? So again, I'm using the Netflix example since we were on that. If you think about things that were good that they did, you might think about their UI, 
right? Um, and and uh, uh, just, you know, a tremendous amount of work going into, you know, hundreds and thousands of A-B tests and stuff and getting, getting the UI right. Um, so, so, and it's probably, and it probably is better than a com competitors. Is it significant? I would say probably not. Um, uh, uh, and that, that if I think of using, using Netflix versus Amazon, it's not, you know, it's maybe not that big a deal or look at, or recommendation engine, their recommendation engine is, you know, is peerless. I think the same thing I'd say superior, probably not significant. Um, and then, and so, and, and it's almost always true that the really hard one of the three S's is sustainability, the barrier. Why is it somebody can't take it away from you? So you have, you have to press really hard in that and then just, you know, and then, and then hopefully you'll have some people that as a founder that you can um, have these conversations with um, that are kind of open-ended where it's not like somebody's trying to prove their point. You're really just trying to come to an answer. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then, and, and, and over time you kind of tease that out. You often will end a conversation. Well, we think it's this, but, but to really figure that out, we need to know X. And then, then maybe three months later, you come back and say, yeah, well, now we have a better understanding of X. So then we think that this is probably, uh, this is probably the case. Um, and then, and, and, and another thing that's very important is to remember that power is uh, a company only has power if it has power against all comers. It's again, it's not an or or an and, it's an and. In other words, against every competitor, both direct and functional and actual and potential. And so you need to think through, so it's hard. Power is really hard, right? And so, so you need to think through all you, you have to ask yourself, well, if so-and-so came into the business, you know, what would that do to me? You know, um, and and uh, um, and and uh, uh, and so so uh, you have to be you know uh, thoughtful about all of that. I think uh, uh, Ella, if you're able to jump off mute, I, I think we skipped over you earlier. Yes, sorry, I am also struggling with the mute button after four months of remote work, so I apologize. Um, Hamilton, love your book. Uh, it was really really uh, interesting and crisp. Uh, I, you know, probably like most people work at a startup. Uh, and so I was trying to trace back what kind of power we had. Uh, luckily, I did find some, I think. So that was comforting. Um, my question is, uh, looking at companies like, let's say, Uber and Lyft, uh, where it seems like, uh, and I want to say companies like Uber and Lyft in case this is not the best example and you have a better example, um, but for companies that basically have very similar power, uh, you know, roots to power, um, like let's say brand, uh, for instance, is that going to be the main, um, or sorry, uh, companies that have similar roots to power, uh, in the end, does it just kind of become a race to the bottom where pricing and brand becomes the differentiator of who actually is able to win out in the market where, you know, uh, city by city, Uber and Lyft kind of competed against each other. Uh, if they're able to sustain their runway long enough, is it just going to be a question of um, who can outlive the other or whose brand has more favorability in the consumer's mind? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting question, Helen. So, so um, there are some uh, 
types of power that are aggregative and some that aren't. In other words, there's some that where only one party can have power in a business, but there are others that aren't like that. So Hermes uh, 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 and LVMH can have both highly profitable handbags, right? Uh, it's brand branding. And, uh, um, but, but the aggregative, and so if you think of aggregative types of power, um, uh, where, where the power met, uh, the power is driven by relative scale, then that's not true. So if you think of something like scale economies or network economies, um, so, so, uh, and, and, and in those, um, there will be one, one, the, the, the large scale competitor will be the one with power and the small scale competitor will be without it. Um, and they'll be in the, 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 you know, the penalty box. And so if you think of Uber and Lyft, um, you know, the, the scale economy there is, um, is uh, regional uh, density, physical density economies that the more drivers and passengers you have in a region, the better route construction you can get and get the right, you know, people together at the right time and more quickly and so on. And, and, and I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not an authority in this because I haven't consulted Uber or anything, but, but it strikes me that they misdefined their business. I don't know how, whether that, uh, you know, uh, how far that went, but certainly it seemed like they wanted to be a transport company for everybody everywhere. And, and it is not an international business. Uh, Uber being strong in, in uh, uh, London doesn't help them one whit in San Francisco because uh, it's mostly local customers. And, and so it's about the density in the uh, geographical Bay Area. Um, and so they're, they're, you know, the cash flow loss that they had in DD versus China is an example of that. Or, and so, so, so in that case, there's a winner and a loser. Um, uh, and, and, uh, um, and then, and then if you look at Uber versus Lyft, um, uh, it, it, those regional physical scale density economies, uh, have, uh, you know, for the mathy ones of you have a, a negative second derivative, right? So they, they, uh, the cost function does. So it, it, it tails off over time and there's a, a range beyond which, uh, additional scale really doesn't help much, you know? Um, and, and so, so you can have two companies that are actually somewhat different scale, but if they're both at scale, uh, at past that sort of, uh, point in the curve, they can both be more or less competitive. And, and then if you get into a situation like that, you could get into, you know, sort, sort of, uh, uh, duopoly, types of things where maybe there's an accommodation they they don't cut each other's throats you know um uh but if you had six companies uh then the, you know then the game theory of that doesn't work out very well did that thank answer? you that's super helpful yeah yeah and it's actually super helpful because uh when you think about it in terms of like improving the algorithm having more people in london doesn't really help you the like millionth customer doesn't really help you improve the algorithm in San Francisco that much if you don't just draw, like add more drivers and more passengers. Uh, so that's super duper helpful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the really interesting areas is when are there actually scale economies in data? Um, because most people claim there are and they're usually they're not. 
And and one of the areas that probably true is one it's an area that's interesting to me is is when if if tail events matter. So if it turns out that that so on the, the three S's, if it turns out the significance part is driven by tail tail events, then then scale matters because the scale producer has generates a lot more tail instances. And so it, it may well be that that uh, EV is like this because you, you just can't tolerate accidents much. And so tail events really matter. And so, you know, um, so there, and there are other things that are occasionally like that at our Google search is probably like that as well. Thanks. Uh, Oliver. Yeah. Hi. Um, hey, Hamilton. It's uh, nice to talk to you in person. We exchanged some email a few months ago after I uh, read your book. Um, so I've been thinking about the, the exchange that we had a little bit. And one of the things that I've been sort of musing on, I'm just curious what your take is. I think there's the things that you're calling powers, which are very durable and um, uh, attributes that can't be replicated by anyone else. And then there's sort of operational efficiency, which is really um, something that's not durable in, in the same way. But I think there's this interesting middle ground. And for a lot of companies and ours in particular, the middle ground is actually critical, and I'm just curious if you agree. Um, so I'll give you two examples. Um, we have obsessed about our culture as a company, and it's something that's a little bit like brand, which is that you have to nurture it. It takes a long time to build. Once you screw it up, it's very, very hard to recover it, almost impossible. And it gives you this tremendous differentiated power that's quite durable. It's not in the same category, I think, as some of the things you're talking about, but it's a very powerful, durable advantage that you have over companies that don't have it. Another example is the architecture of our product, which we've obsessed and sweated blood over, is much cleaner than our competitors, which gives us the ability to be far more agile than them in the market. And they literally can't build what we can build, and so they have to go buy companies and have a much poorer value prop for customers. And right. so these are examples of quite durable things that aren't quite, I think, in the category you're describing, but they're very powerful. And I'm just curious how you think about that. So uh, it's all about the time constant, right? So mm -hmm. so uh, uh, you have to. So you you so if you want to say something's uh, if you want to say something strategic, you pick a time constant. In other words, you pick how durable does it have to be to cross that bar, and that's arbitrary. You know, I mean, for me, you know, it's prob it's it's probably five years or more, maybe maybe ten. I don't know. And 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 you and but uh, and so it's so there are many things that don't get to your time constant. That there's a continuum of things, right? It's it's not there's not all of a sudden everything is six months and everything else is five years or more. There's a continuum, and so so you pick those things. But uh, but. Uh, but I don't agree. I don't think I agree with how exactly how you're thinking about that, because I think if you think about culture, I will go into architecture in a minute. But if you think about culture, uh, culture uh, uh, is can be very important. Um, and 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 you can simply just apply a three S test to it. You can say, OK, what is it about our culture that that uh, that uh, what uh, what do we get out of that that gives us value? Um, and so, as I say, it's going to be either 
it's going to be either you know uh, you know higher prices or lower costs you know better product or something and and ninety five percent gross retention. Yeah. So so okay. So so you have so you have a so so you have that and then and so so and then you say well uh, and then you you look at that retention versus other people. And then you'd say to yourself, um, and let's say it's 80% for your best competitor, um, and, and you assume they're competent. And so, you, so you've, gotten this nice, you've gotten this nice retention kick, which figures in, into your long-term economics. And then you say, uh, is that significant? Yeah, and you'd say, and then you'd have to answer that question, but so let's say it is. And then, and then you get to the question of saying, um, uh, why can't they take it away from me, right? And and uh, that gets you to the barrier, and uh, and if it turns and if, if it turns out that they just that there is something that uh, that they cannot mimic, and in culture it's usually counterpositioning that they have to it's embedded in so many aspects of what you who you hired, how you organize, how you compensate, uh, you know how you conduct meetings, all these things. That that uh, that for a company to try to emulate that means they've got to blow up the way they do business, and that's part of well, that's part of what's facing VW and doing software, right? Um, and uh, it's so, you know, and and so so if and 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 uh, so the 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 barrier in doing it is uh, if it's if it's uh, counterpositioning is collateral damage, um, and so so I I. I don't agree with you that it's something other. I do agree that there's a full spectrum of time constants um, and that you just, and you pick an arbitrary point that you think is, it's not exactly arbitrary because it's driven by value uh, calculations. You know, you, you have, you pick a point that where a preponderance of the value is created. If you, you know, if you have something that's that durable. Um, um, so I, I don't mean to make it's just it's not just completely picked out of the air, but 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 uh, uh, so so the question I'd ask you is um, is to and, and as you think this stuff through is to to see if you can think of of other reasons why people can't take it away from you, um, and I think. And there's nothing, there's nothing sacrosanct about seven types of power. There could be eight, there could be 10. And, I, and, I, and, and, the, and, and if you think of the two dimensions of barriers versus benefits, the benefits side, I'm, I'm confident that's exhaustive, the, the way it's defined, because, it, because it's simply every element of positive cash flow. The barrier side, there's nothing in there that says that, it's, that that's an exhaustive set of barriers. Um, I mean, I can, I can give you arguments why it might be, um, but but I cannot prove it, and so uh, you know it is. It's, so if you think of uh, some reason that uh, people can't take it away from you, that's not included in the four types of barriers there. You might you might have you might be able to expand the whole definition of the thing. I'm always looking for a new one because it'd be a great investment opportunity because it'd be pretty opaque. Yeah, I think the for me the the, the real takeaway was that you can find durable sources of advantage versus your competitors that don't meet your powers bar 
but that are nevertheless powerful, compelling, and durable for a non-trivial chunk of time, and therefore very interesting in terms of defending and growing your business. So I, I took away that there was actually a spectrum, and you, you, I think, articulated really nicely kind of the extreme end of it, but there's actually a lot of value, at least for me, in the lower end. Well, it's, it's very important that you distinguish between statics and dynamics here. Um, so, so if you're thinking about not being there but getting there, then, then there are absolutely things that have short time constants that are utterly strategic. So, so if you're getting to a point where you have to scale, and it's a scale economies business, and, and you, you just happen to, maybe you were lucky and got the right product to start with and got in first, or, or, or maybe you're just, or maybe you just can do really fast turnaround and, and you cycle so you get better information. So those things are highly strategic. So you want to, so in thinking about that, but the key, but the key takeaway from that is that, that you have to think of those things in terms of, uh, 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 eventually, uh, there's a static issue, you know, that you you've got to get to, and so, so I I, I I'm uh, I you haven't convinced me that it's missing something. Uh. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I think during hypergrowths, dynamics tend to be where you focus, and then we aren't yet at a point in the market where we are really focused on statics yet. Is one. Yeah aspect yeah I, I would say I would say the book is um, you know I I don't spend uh, there there are a few areas that I think are, are really interesting that aren't covered in the book and one of them one of them is just what you're saying which is the variety of things that you do uh, during takeoff um, that that allow you to scale because remember basically what's going on there is that if let's say there's a business with scale economies. What that means is relative scale is a strategic asset. And what you're really talking about is, is taking advantage of a period when that asset is mispriced. In other words, that you can, you can attain it, you know, with the cost of attaining it if you do things in the right way is less than the value to you. And, yep. and, you're, and you're talking about, about uh, taking advantage of that mispricing. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. Thanks. Oh, hey, uh, let's see, Aubrey. Great, uh, thanks Ben and David for putting this on and uh, yeah, thanks Hamilton for joining. Uh, my question I guess is related a little bit to the topic of the podcast, uh, M&A. Curious to get your thoughts on which power you think represents a better or maybe the best um, acquisition opportunity. So, you know, I think one potentially would be cornered resource where you're able to take you know, if it's not a finite resource like oil, but something that's um, zeros and ones, maybe you can spread that across your um, customer base. Whereas maybe like process power, um, you know, you kill the culture if you try to integrate it or, you know, the acquirer doesn't successfully integrate it. So um, yeah, question is, how would you maybe rank the, the top two powers in terms of their um, attractiveness and acquisition target? So, so, if you're doing acquisitions and you're interested in creating value, you the one question you have to answer is, why is this company that I'm buying worth more to me than the seller? If you can't answer that question, you shouldn't be doing it, right? Because the seller walls have more information. Maybe you get lucky, 
but it's unlikely. So, so, um, and, and so even if you buy a company with power, but you pay full price for it, you haven't created any value. So if you buy something that's a great invention, you haven't created any value at all. And so, so, so the, so the key, the key question there is why is it more valuable to me than somebody else? So if you think of Facebook buying Instagram, the reason it's more valuable to Facebook is that they had the capability probably of scaling it of very much faster than Instagram. You can argue whether that's true or not, but let's, let's suppose it is that of scaling it much faster than the Instagram founders could have. Um, and, 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 uh, and it's a business where scale matters. And so, so, um, uh, so it's, uh, so that's, that's the, that's the key thing. And so, and sometimes that relates to that, that additional value that you get might be related to power or it might be related to an operational acuity that you have. Uh, but, but you have to answer that question. That's the fundamental value question for M&A. Yeah, thank you. Yep. All right. I want to be mindful of everyone in Hamilton's time here at 6. Yeah, I'll give you, you know, maybe another five minutes or so. And then <laughs> Great. Why don't we do, um, why don't we do one more question then? Maybe, uh, Stuart, since you're, uh, you're our farthest away caller is, uh, is perfect. Uh, we'll, we'll end with you. Why don't, uh, why don't you jump in? Great. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to ask a question. Um, going back to, to really interesting that, um, tech companies starting with counter positioning, um, essentially gives them advantage an advantage of some sort to um, stay on the leading edge of the, the technology frontier. So when you think about that, and then you also think about historically the um, last kind of group of um, or what institutions were powerful, you said kind of colleges and universities. Do you think um, that over the next, you know, 50 or 100 years, I guess one last point with that is even in the last 50 years, the kind of amount of Fortune 500 companies from 1955 through to today, only like 50 companies still exist. Do you think that um, given the kind of digital age that the duration of power is going to now be increased or is that offset by the ability for new companies to quickly kind of right. launch at the at the frontier at the tip of the frontier of technology. Yeah, it's a deep and interesting question. I have to say I don't know the answer, but uh, but I think I think the data says that the average duration of a company on the S and P five hundred is declining. Isn't that right? Does somebody know the data? I think that's right. Is that some, I see John nodding his head. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I think that's true. So so. So so far, the the jury is that um, that uh, the time spans are shorter, um, and uh, and I think and I would say that if you think about things that uh, what what often happens I'd say is functional functional competition takes you down because usually the power formula is very different uh, and often involves counterposition even um, and and uh, uh, and and that 
uh, that's driven typically by an advancing technology frontier. That you know there are other things that change, you know demographics and this and that. But 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 for me, I think the big change change mover is is the technology frontier. And and so so I don't I don't uh, you know if I don't see that uh, lessening. I mean people you know there are te testimony in Congress today, right? So. Right. You know, Amazon's terrible and Facebook's terrible and all this, you know. Um, but 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 I think they're they're probably more competitively vulnerable than say Kodak was. Of course Kodak had an incredible run. I mean they're one of the longest ones ever, but but say Kodak was in nineteen forty or something. Um, so so I, I if 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 I if some I, I wouldn't put money on it, but if I had to guess, I'd say it's that that trend of the duration being shorter will will continue. That we're not into, uh, uh, you know, another. But but I don't really know. And and you know, another take of it is is that now we're very global, and that so you can't you can't you know so everybody knows everything about everybody, and so that sort of takes away the opportunity for newcomers, but. But counterpositioning is is wonderful that way. I mean, you, you know, and, and Tesla's a great example. I mean, who would have thunk? You know, I mean, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, and, and thanks for that. I, I guess that's that's that. And Ben did a great um, paraphrase of of that. Is yeah, how yeah we're getting to this time where it does look like the average age of the company is is getting lower and lower. But is that setting up the next? You know, two hundred year run, but um, appreciate that answer, nevertheless. It's tough to tell. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I guess I guess I'll I'll break. I, I'm I'm so glad. You know, as I've said to Ben and David before, I you know my my ideas are my babies, and so it's 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 just wonderful for me to, to uh, see that people find them useful, um, and so I I very much appreciate all of you. Uh, Looking at what I had to say, as I say, I'm I'm just uh, appallingly poor at marketing. So hopefully the word gets out of that. <laughs> well, thank you, Hamilton. We uh, we totally appreciate it, and uh, thanks for sharing your time. Thanks for writing the book uh, and uh, and coming on the show and sharing your time with us here. All right, LPs. Hopefully you all enjoyed that conversation as much as Ben and I did. And huge thank you to Hamilton for giving us his time and uh, being part of this special community with us. Let us know if you like this, having the audio track of these discussions in consumable podcast form, and we'll keep doing it for future conversations. And thank you, as always, for being LPs, and we will see you next time.